listening to Impact Sports Daily, WDBM's daily rundown of all things sports. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Impact Sports Daily. Today is December 9th. It's a beautiful Thursday afternoon here in East Lansing from the basement of Holden Hall. I'm your host, Matt Merrifield, joined today with Jacob Phillips. Got a full slate of sports to talk about today. We have college basketball to talk about, some breaking NHL news, and then we're going to get into some NFL previewing Thursday night football towards the end. But let's start, Jacob. Michigan State last night traveled to Minnesota to play the Golden Gophers in their Big Ten opener and came away with a 75-65 to win. Tyson Walker stole the show. What were your thoughts on the game? Yeah, I thought it was really good to see. You always want to go and, and make a really impactful statement for your Big Ten opener, and I think Michigan State did that just from the beginning. Tyson Walker, Malik Hall, and Joey Hauser really going out and being the the building blocks of this MSU basketball offense. Uh, you know, Joey Hauser shot two for three with three points, which was really impressive to see. I know he's kind of had a tough time at the beginning of this year. And, you know, everyone was a little hesitant on Tyson Walker at the beginning. He didn't quite play to his potential. But I think that this game showed Tyson Walker is absolutely just a terrific point guard to have lead your team. Yeah, definitely. There were some pretty high expectations for Walker coming into the season. And he didn't quite live up to him to start. But playing for Tom Izzo is a very tough ask and to ask him to come in right away and play at that top level. It took him some time to get used to playing in the offense, but now he has really turned into the player that everybody, I think, expected him to be last night. I think he scored the first nine points for Michigan State, hitting a three, getting some uh, driving the lane. He was really impressive finishing at the basket last night. So he's definitely starting to get acclimated, is running the offense at a really high level, and the point, and he's bringing that point guard play that Michigan State so desperately needed. And on top of, like you said, getting started with a with a win in conference play is so important. Last year, Michigan State to start the bas- to start the season last year came in number four in the country to start conference play last year. Lost to Northwestern, then lost to Wisconsin, and next and that derailed their season and almost cost them the tournament as they continued to fall. Getting that win last night on the road, tough place to play like Minnesota, was just a good way for them to get started and move into conference play. Yeah, and I think it really showed that the combination of Tyson Walker and Malik Hall both putting up 15 points each, leading that Michigan State offense, is really going to be the key continuing this conference play. Yeah, not to mention Gabe Brown also had 15 points last night. Joey Hauser, you mentioned before, had a really strong performance after struggling, just felt the, feeling a lot of pressure coming into this year, especially after he struggled towards the end of last season. I We're seeing, yet again, Michigan State's just an offense by committee, which there's nothing wrong with that, with the rotation that is, 11, 11 players deep, 10, 11 players deep. You can afford to do that. And when it comes time for March, you know your guys, Gabe Brown, Tyson Walker, are going to be the guys you're going to lead on. But it's really nice to see that every night Malik Hall might go off. Uh, Max Christie, the freshman, is starting to get going a little bit. The three-point shot still isn't there yet, but he, he, there is, he still has time to figure that out. He's still playing well on the defensive end. Marcus Bingham was huge at the beginning of the year. He's kind of cooled down, but is still bringing a really good defensive presence. So it's just awesome to see how everybody in Michigan State is contributing and making it a true team effort to start this year. Yeah, and watching Bingham is really always interesting to see because not only does he have that really strong defensive presence, like you said, but he's fast and really has a good offensive presence as well, especially in the paint. Yeah, definitely. And going back to Walker and Bingham, being able to run for Michigan State is a huge part. The fast break last year, they weren't able to run it as much, and that's a big part of Tom Izzo's offense. 
Last night they were running full speed. Walker was pushing up the floor, and obviously there's one play where uh, he found Bingham down low and he uh, duffed the uh, an easy layup, put it right off the back of the iron. But I just thought it's awesome to see how they're really starting to get back and starting to push and uh, put some pressure on a lot of these defenses. And it was just a great, strong defensive performance for Michigan State last night. Yet again, I believe in the Ken Palm rankings, they're still second in the country in defensive adjusted defense behind Houston. They, I mean, they held Minnesota to 26% from three, 39% from the field on the night. And it just, yet again, their defense has continued to carry them. Yeah, this team is continuing to impress me the more I watch it. And it really shows, I think Michigan State is playing a lot like they did back, like what we saw in 2019. Yeah, I definitely think so. There's, I mean, the emphasis on defense, they've held teams to under 70 points in all but two of their games and those two games they didn't were against Kansas to open the season who is a top five team in the country and Baylor who I think could probably be number two behind Purdue so you're really going up against all these other teams top teams like UConn Toledo Butler you're still shutting them down and being able to play solid defense and I think when it comes time for March defense is really what gets you and uh, get you through the tournament. I mean, it's a combination of both, but being able to shut teams down, regardless of who you're going up against, is a huge, huge advantage for you. So I definitely think that this team, different than last year and different than years past, is still is just as dangerous as we've seen. Yeah. Now, I will say with the, the Kansas and Baylor losses, I think they've shown, and even Michigan State's victories, I think they've shown that Michigan State struggles on the turnover. Last night they had 13 turnovers, of course, which is close to their all-season low. It's not quite there. I think their all-season low is 12. It's 10. 10, okay. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Michigan State really needs to get the turnovers under control if they really want to keep that defensive presence. It's so weird, though, with Michigan State for how fast they move and the pace that they play at sometimes. The 13 turnovers, watching the game last night, didn't seem like it. Like there, I mean, there are games, right, they've had a couple games this year where they've had 20, which – you're never going to win. I mean, they've won a couple games. I'm pretty sure the Western, not the Western, the Butler game, they had 20 turnovers and still won by 20 points, which is just absolutely ridiculous. That just goes to show how good their defense is. But last night, holding holding themselves to 13 turnovers is uh, pretty good for that Michigan State team. It didn't seem like they were costing themselves too many possessions. They only got two turnovers against, sorry, they only got two, they only forced two turnovers against Minnesota, but it didn't seem to affect them last night. A stat that our own Brennan Shabath tweeted out last night, the Ken Palm Don tweeted out that in six of, eight of Michigan State's eight wins, they have lost the turnover battle. They have a negative, they have a turnover margin, I believe, negative three and a half, which is ridiculous. That is usually, that's not a very good mark to have for a top team, but for Michigan State, it's working right now. Yeah, and I think, you know, like you said, it really goes to the fact that Michigan State is such a fast team with that fast break and really forces that offense on their opponents and really has a strong defensive presence as well that they can afford these turnovers. But come March Madness, I you know, this is not what you want to see in Michigan State is these massive amount of turnovers. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's a lot to be impressed about and excited about with this team. And there's still there's still some pieces that they haven't put all together. But it's not a lot very nice to see for them. Obviously, the expectations weren't too high coming this season. They were left unranked, and now they're starting to prove that they are a top 20, top 15. I would say a top 15 team in the country at least, and they definitely can make do some damage against the top teams. 
They Michigan State continues their conference play on Saturday. They host Penn State, another game they definitely should win and go into the holidays. 2-0 and in conference play. That would put them at 9-2 and on the year and be a very strong setup for them. And then over Christmas, they play at Little Caesars Arena against Oakland, which is actually a very tough game. Oakland is one of the top mid-major teams in the country and should probably win the Horizon League this year. Then they play High Point right before the New Year, and then obviously come back after the New Year and start up conference play to the rest of the year. So definitely a lot to be excited about for Michigan State, and they should get a win on Saturday and continue to move forward into the 2022 stretch of the season. Moving on, got some hockey breaking news for the NHL. <laughs> I try not to laugh when I read this headline. The Arizona Coyotes are being threatened are threatened to be evicted from their arena in Glendale, Arizona, because they have over one million dollar, over one point three million dollars in unpaid taxes and fees towards them. Um, I'm not really sure what to make of this, but yes, the they owe over two hundred fifty grand to the city of Glendale and then another million to the state of Arizona, and they have until December twentieth to pay these bills before they get evicted. Jacob, what what do you think of this headline? Yeah, I mean, this is just some real crazy news here. You know, it's very rare that you see uh, an, a sports franchise of any, you know, in any sport threatened to be evicted from their arena, stadium, whatever. You know, normally it's teams that, you know, look to get out and look to move places. That's a more common headline, although not, you know, you don't see it every year. You know, but for a state and a city to threaten to kick out a major sports franchise like this is really, you know, mind-boggling to me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there were reports that the Coyotes were looking to get out of their lease at the end of the season, and they're uh, with the arena of Glendale and the city. They had an agreement with the city. It seemed like they wanted to get out of it. Now that seems to change that the city is trying to kick them out before the season even ends. So definitely an interesting situation there. The Coyotes now. I mean, they've been linked to relocation for over a decade now. Um, they they are always a bottom in attendance. Currently this season, they are 30th in attendance in the NHL, which is not very good, obviously. They really just, most nights, they don't fill the place, which is unfortunate to see. What what city do you think that uh, the Coyotes should move to, Jacob? Uh, I really think that the Coyotes should move to somewhere like Milwaukee, but that's more because I feel like the entire state of Wisconsin has a massive disservice that they don't have an NHL team right now. They got an NFL team, they have an NBA team, an MLB team. They're one of the coldest states in America, and they don't have an NHL team, and that baffles me. So that that's why I will, you know, not necessarily think the Coyotes are going there, but if if anywhere, I want uh, an NHL team to move to the state of Wisconsin. Yeah, I definitely think Wisconsin would be a nice place to say, uh, to have a team. Obviously, they do love hockey. They, the Wisconsin Badgers do really well for attendance for college hockey. I, know, I mean, hockey is a huge part of their culture. They have a lot of good youth teams that play out of the state. So I think that it would work in, uh, in Wisconsin, obviously a cold-weather city. I think a couple places that I could see Arizona also going to would be Houston. I think that's like the main, the prime candidate for it, which I would not be opposed to. I would love to see a team in Kansas City. I think they are a really good sports city. They show up for the Royals. They obviously the their chief. They love the Chiefs, and I think adding a hockey team to that market right in the middle, right in the middle of America, would do a really just a great uh, great service to help expand the game. Which is part of the reason why the Coyotes are in Arizona is to help get expand hockey to the Southwest. 
So I think adding a team to Kansas City or even tax, even Houston still would help expand the game, which I think what the NHL wants to do, which is a good thing, obviously. So I think that Houston or Kansas City would probably be the top two. I think Milwaukee would be a good spot. Some people think Quebec would be a good candidate. I don't know how the NHL would do that considering they're trying to balance conferences. But, I mean, I think anything is possible. I would love to see a team go back to Quebec City. I think the Nordique should return. But we'll just have to wait and see. But definitely a crazy situation <laughs> unfolding in Arizona. Now let's move into some NFL talk. Tonight, Thursday night football, the Pittsburgh Steelers travel to Minnesota to take on the Vikings. It's a big game for both teams. Steelers coming off their gutsy win in Baltimore or hosting Baltimore last weekend. Minnesota coming off a loss to the Lions. Not much. They can't 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 do much worse than that after losing to the Lions last weekend. So they need to bounce back. Both teams are looking for a wild card spot. Jacob, what do you expect to see tonight? Yeah, I really don't know what to make of this game. I know Minnesota's favored by three. And, you know, coming off a loss to Detroit really blows my mind. I didn't think that Minnesota would be the team to lose to Detroit. I thought after Pittsburgh tied Detroit that the Lions would go without a win. So I think these are two incredibly well-matched teams. Both are struggling for that wild card spot in their divisions. And I think that, honestly, Pittsburgh is going to probably sneak it out from this one. Coming off of that really, you know, not necessarily impressive, but necessary win against Baltimore. And I think Minnesota just feeling a little defeated here. And I think Pittsburgh's just kind of going to go into the game with that mindset that, you know, they're hungry for that wild card spot still, and they're out looking for it. Yeah, it was definitely a big win for the Steelers last week. They hadn't won. They did, they did not win a single game in the month. Or sorry, they won one game in the month of November. They beat the Bears in week nine, tied the Lions, then lost bad. Or they lost to the Chargers and then got blown out by the Bengals. So they definitely got a huge win last weekend. And then they need this one this weekend because after this week, they host the Titans go to Kansas City, host Cleveland, and then head to Baltimore. So, I mean, they play four playoff teams or four playoff con- tight contenders the rest of the way. So it's definitely a very tough game for them to win. For Minnesota, I mean, if you want to stay in it, you're going to have to pull this one out. They are currently 5-7, and seven, one game back of the 49ers and the Washington football team of a playoff spot. So definitely a must-win for both teams, obviously, like I said. I think that the Vikings are going to pull this one out. They're... They're one of those teams that like to play to level their competition. Obviously, they lost the Lions last week after playing really well and beating the Packers a couple weeks ago. They play they play teams close. So I think that the Vikings will find a way to pull this one out at home. I, I, any other thoughts on the game? Yeah, and I know that Kirk Cousins has had five games now straight with two or more touchdown passes. And he's really been what's been keeping this Minnesota offense alive in the playoff hunt. But I really think that if you're Pittsburgh and you're Mike Tomlin, you are thinking, you're coaching your guys, like, the, the schedule does not get easier from here. It gets a lot harder, a lot faster after this game. So I think they're going to come into this game thinking, this is the one game where we're going to have it the easiest for the rest of the year, so we better win it. And I think that's what's going to make the difference. Yeah, it's a big one, uh, big news for Minnesota coming into the game. Dalvin Cook is expected to suit up for the game tonight. How much he is Impacts the game is, a, is still a question how much how many snaps they give him, but Alexander Madison still a very good back. And having Dalvin Cook back is going to make a huge difference for that offense. Obviously, the Steelers, one of the best defenses in the NFL. 
I still like the Vikings in this one. Obviously, the Steelers, with a win, would jump the Bills and take over that last wild card spot, which would be huge for them. And obviously, like we already talked about, the schedule for them does not get any easier. But I still think that Minnesota, this is one of the games they're going to win. You, they, they are probably the most confusing team and franchise in the NFL where one week they look like Super Bowl contenders, the next week they come out and lay an egg. This is a week at home, very, a very good Steelers team. I think they find a way to win in a close one. Oh, absolutely. I think it's, no matter what, it's going to be close. Again, the they're favored only by three. Uh, and I, I really think that this is going to be either a really high-scoring game kept really close or a really low-scoring game kept really close. But I don't think any team is going to ri- run away with it from the beginning. I, I, I just do not see that as the case. I definitely think it's going to be a more low-scoring game. Obviously, the Steelers have one of the top defenses. Minnesota's defense did not look good last weekend, but I don't think that the Steelers' offense is capable. More, more, most weeks, it's not capable of putting up the big scoring numbers, so I definitely think it'll be a lower-scoring game, but we'll just have to wait and see. Moving into our final segment of today, we're going to do a week thir- uh, post-week 13 overreaction-underreaction segment. First, we're going to start off overreaction-underreaction, Jacob. The Chiefs will end up with the number one seed in the AFC. I think that's an overreaction. I think with the road victory against Buffalo, I think the Patriots have really primed themselves to take that AFC number one spot without a doubt. You know, even with Mac Jones only being able to throw three passes, only completing two of them, their run game against the Bills really proved that they are back at the top of the AFC for me. Interesting. I... I think that they will finish atop the AFC because right now they've won, what is it now, four or five games in a row. Mahomes hasn't thrown a touchdown pass in each of the last two games. He's gone without a touchdown pass, and they're still finding ways to win. The defense has shown up. The last four games they held the Packers to seven with Jordan Love, albeit. They held the Raiders to 14. They held the Cowboys to nine, and they held the Broncos to nine. So I think their defense has really figured it out. The run game is still an issue. Obviously, Mahomes in the passing game has struggled a bit in the last couple weeks. But I think, yet again, they're the best team in the AFC, top-end talent. They have all the talent they need. I, I The Patriots have had a great year. I just think that the Chiefs will find a way to pull out that number one seed. But obviously, it's there's still four weeks left to play, a lot of football, and we'll have to see how this one goes or finishes out. But I think it's not an overreaction. I do think that they will finish in first. Next headline. Overreaction, underreaction, will Tom, Tom Brady will win his fourth MVP this season? Oh, I think overreaction. Absolutely overreaction. I think that what we've seen from the Buccaneers is that a lot of the components around Tom Brady are really what build that team up and really help them to score. What was Leonard Fournette really going off? I think it was last week. And... I think that we've seen Tom Brady isn't necessarily what carries that team. Meanwhile, you know, and being a Green Bay fan, of course, I would like to see Aaron Rodgers get MVP again. But I think, you know, we're potentially looking at Mac Jones. Uh, he'll certainly get Offensive Rookie of the Year for sure. But I, I just think that to say Tom Brady has it as a lock is completely an overreaction. I think that there's a lot of other candidates who have come in this year and shown that they provide a lot more value to their team individually than Tom Brady provides to the Bucs. Uh, I would definitely agree with that statement. 
Um, if you want to go from a valuable player standpoint, which I truly believe that's the point of the tr- of the trophy, it's not offensive player of the year, and even I don't think Brady would win it. But like you said, the Bucks have proven when Tom Brady has to be the guy and go out and win a game for the entire game, not just putting together a game-winning drive, but you know we need you to throw the ball 50 times. The Buccaneers don't do as well when that when that's the case. They have to run the ball. They have to use their weapons. And that's no slight against Tom Brady. That's just how their offense runs now and how their team is most effective. So I think players that should be in the conversation, I think Lamar Jackson still has to be talked about. Um, obviously, Patrick Mahomes, I don't think either of them will win it. I think it's probably going to be an NFC quarterback. Obviously, Kyler Murray, he, he was injured for a couple weeks, but he's still so important to that Cardinals offense. I mean, my vote would probably be for Aaron Rodgers. If, he, if Aaron Rodgers isn't on the Packers, they prove that they are not a good football team. He is so important to them. And I think another dark horse candidate who should get some love is Jonathan Taylor. I know he's a running back. I know the Colts have a great offensive line. But he just he if without Jonathan Taylor, I'm not sure how I don't I'm not sure how many games the Colts win. Yeah, I I agree. Aaron Rodgers, Kyler Murray, Jonathan Taylor. I think an important stat to look at, especially having seen Aaron Rodgers and Kyler Murray being out for a few games this week or not this week this year, is that one of the things to look at is when you remove these players from the equation, does the team do as well? And I think with Aaron Rodgers, Kyler Murray, you see that you take that quarterback away from the team and they really start to struggle and I think that you know while it doesn't look good on the team I think that really makes a good argument for you know these players provide the most value to their team because without them they are close to nothing yeah the only issue I think with Kyler Murray would be he missed three games in the month of November and the Cardinals went two and one in the month obviously they beat the Niners they lost to the Panthers badly but then beat the Seahawks before their bye week so you can still make the argument. I still think it's Aaron Rodgers. I think he is the just most valuable player without him. Obviously, they showed in the Kansas City game that if without him, they are not a very good team. And obviously, I still think Jonathan Taylor should get some love. But being a running back, he probably won't win it. Anyways, moving on to our next uh, statement. Overreaction, underreaction. Mike Zimmer is in his final weeks as Viking head coach. Hmm. I'm going to have to go with underreaction. I I don't quite think it's wrong, and I don't quite think it's right. I think the season they are having is incredibly mediocre. You know, like you said earlier, they're one of the most confusing teams in the NFC. And, of course, losing to the Lions, you know, you kind of press the panic button for a second. But I don't quite know if it's enough to fire your head coach. That being said, they have not been really in in they've not locked their division in probably ten ten years or so. I, I don't think they've been able to clinch their division. And they they've really kind of been that, you know, third ranked team of the NFC North. So, you know, I I see that it, it it's possible. I, I definitely see it's possible. So that's why I'm gonna go with underreaction. Mike Zimmer took over in the twenty 20- uh, sorry, 2014 season, first year they went seven and nine, then 11 and five, won the North, then eight and eight. Then they had that magical year with Case Keenum, went 13 and three. But the last since then, eight and seven, ten and six, seven and nine, and likely to win, have another seven win, seven ish win season. They are the last four years under Kirk Cousins, they've been so average, and I don't see why it changes now. I think if he would have been fired, he would have been fired already, or even this week after losing the Lions. So I. 
I think it's an over. I think it's an overreaction. I don't think. I don't think Mike Zimmer is in his final season. When he'll get fired, I don't know. I mean, he's he doesn't do enough to get fired, right? He doesn't. The Vikings are never that bad. They have plenty of talent, but they should do more. Like with the defensive talent they have, they have plenty of offensive weapons. Delvin Cook, Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, Kirk Cousins has had a great year. So you can't even blame him. Like what I just don't understand why they don't perform as highly as others. So I definitely think it's an interesting, uh, def- interesting topic to talk about because so many people are divided on how good of a coach Mike Zimmer is as well. But I don't, I don't think he is. I don't think he's done. I think he's still going to be around next year. Yeah, I think they're in that comfortably mediocre spot where you know Vikings fans can still hold their heads up high at the end of the year. You know, you're you're not one of the teams like let's say the Jaguars or the Jets having terrible seasons, but you also aren't in Super Bowl contention whatsoever for the past, I don't know how many years. And, you know, it's one of those things, I think that after a year like this, maybe I could see them not firing Mike Zimmer, but certainly telling him, look, next year you're on the chopping block. If you can't improve performance, then you got to go. Yeah, my biggest issue with Mike Zimmer is, like I've said before, the Vikings are the most inconsistent team in the league. One week they show up, next week they don't. They play level their competition. That comes from the coach, I think. I don't think that's, I mean, that's just, I think that's part of the culture of the team. And I think that comes from Mike Zimmer. So I, I, if there's one thing to address with them, that's it. They don't always show up. And I, so I, I, I'm not sure about it. I'm going to say he will, I'm going to stick with my first reaction, say that he will not be fired. But obviously, they still have four weeks left in the season. A lot can happen. He could be fired before we even know it. Next next statement, overreaction, underreaction. Washington will catch the Cowboys and win the NFC East. Underreaction. I think it's completely possible, if not probable. Part of this is I come from a Washington family. I'm Of course, I'm not a Washington fan, but seeing how they have played, beating the Raiders, beating the Buccaneers... I think they've got the potential. I think finally we're seeing their offense kind of click in that sense of we are now organized. We now have a style to go out and play these teams. Their defense has finally arrived this season. I know in the first few weeks, everyone was wondering where they were. So I think it is, it's likely they're going to catch the the Cowboys. Hmm. Washington plays Dallas this weekend. I think Washington wins. I know we're probably going to make our predictions on tomorrow's show. I think Washington will beat Dallas at home. They head to Philly. I think they beat Philly because I, I don't like Philly's offense, especially the way Washington's defense is playing now. Especially if Jalen Hurts plays Yeah, for especially. Um, if they at Dallas, I'm going to say a loss. It's a really tough place to play. It's going to be a primetime game on uh, Sunday night. So I'll go with Dallas on that one. Then they host Philly go to New York. Washington very realistically could go 4 and 1, even 5 and 0, oh, I think, cuz I think they match up well against Dallas. So, it'd be and then Dallas. I'm going to go I'm going to go with no. I don't think they'll catch them. It'll be like a tie situation, but I, both teams will definitely make the playoffs. But I think Dallas will win the division. So, I think it's an overreaction that Washington will catch them, but I don't think it's out of question. Like it's not like it, for sure no. There's a very good window for them to do it. I just don't think they will because they pretty much have to be perfect. They have to go 4-1 against all division opponents to finish out the year. So it's definitely a tough stretch for them. Obviously, if, being, if it was any other division, I'd definitely say no. But because the NFC East, they do have the window. 
I'm still going to stick with no. Washington, or sorry, Dallas will win the NFC East. Next headline, Russell Wilson will be the Saints quarterback in 2022. Now, I have actually seen some posts on Twitter, Instagram, saying that Russell Wilson uh, uh, has supposedly said that New Orleans is one of the teams that he would consider a trade to. Uh, I forget what the others were, but I, I know New Orleans is up there. I could see New Orleans wanting him and wanting him bad. I just don't know if Seattle would really give him up to New Orleans. Because you got to think of what they would get out of it. And I don't think New Orleans has much of anything to offer. I think the problem with New Orleans for me, and I knew this going into this season, is that their cap situation is a mess. They're paying Taysom Hill way too much money, regardless if he plays receiver or quarterback. I know his contract differs depending on what position he's playing. Um, but their their cap situation is a mess. And Russell Wilson is not cheap. I believe his cap hit is currently... About $20 million, that's not as bad, or sorry, his cap hit next year would be $37 million. That's a lot, I, and, and I, Russell Wilson's worth every penny. I think he is probably the, one of the more valuable quarterbacks in this league, although he's never received an MVP vote, which I still think is one of my favorite stats in the NFL. I think, Pitts, I think he'll end up in Pittsburgh. I think that's where Russell Wilson's heading next year. The only issue with Pittsburgh is what can they give up to get him, which is a lot which is a big issue for a lot of these top teams. They don't want to give up any of their player talent. They don't exactly have the draft capital to go out and get a player like Russell Wilson. Um, but I don't think he'll be in, in New Orleans next year. Yeah. And now, something that might be interesting is, I know everyone talks about if Aaron Rodgers is going to leave Green Bay after this year. That's what true. I think would be interesting to see, if Aaron Rodgers does leave, and it, a, a big if, because I think this year he's shown that he still very much wants to play for that team. If he leaves, I would want to see Russell Wilson go to Green Bay because they have the they have some good weapons. They've got a great head coach in Matt LaFleur. He's done a great job, and I think that style of offense would really click well with Russell Wilson. You know, uh, And so I think that it would be a good matchup. Again, I think the... The point of contention is what would they have to give up to get him? But I, I think that any team that wants Russell Wilson off of the Seahawks is going to have to give up something. And I think Green Bay's got some people they can afford to give up and still have a good team to build around Russell Wilson. Yeah, I think if Aaron Rodgers does leave Green Bay, which I know you still have, you still believe he wants to be there. I, I believe he still wants to play for the team. I don't think he wants to play for the owner. Like, I know it's really not ownership in Green Bay. They're owned by the fans. But I don't think he's happy with the front office and the way the team is run. So I think this year he's going out playing football, right? He's, a, he's an NFL. He's playing for his contract, and he's a competitor, as we've seen. So he's going to go out and play every single week. But that doesn't mean behind the scenes he is unhappy with the situation. We don't know any of that. But if he does leave, there are only a couple quarterbacks in this league that I think can come into Green Bay and keep some sort of status quo and keep them afloat. And Russell Wilson is definitely one of those quarterbacks, so I definitely think it'd be interesting for him to go there. And depending on what return they get for Aaron Rodgers, they could then turn that around and give it to Seattle. There's a lot of situations go down. It should be an interesting offseason, especially with the quarterback situation this year's draft not being the strongest. Um, you see some mock drafts having certain guys like Matt Corral going top 10, Kenny Pickett. Some drafts don't have a guy going until the mid-20s to these better teams. So it's definitely going to be an interesting situation to see how it all plays out. Um, I'm excited to see it. I think that, I'm not sure. I think that Wilson, sorry, I think 
Rodgers will end up in Pittsburgh for, before Wilson will. I'm not sure Wilson will end up. I don't think he'll get traded. I think Pete Carroll's done, but I don't think Wilson is done. I'm not sure. It's an interesting situation. Yeah, someone is leaving Seattle at the end of this year. Who that is, we have yet to could see. Be, could be both. I, I definitely think Pete Carroll will. Hmm. I don't think they give up both Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. I think I think the bigger issue in Seattle is Pete Carroll because I think he's just he's been there for so long. He's kind of earned that. I want to say Belichick Belichick status, but he's kind of earned his 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 right to just kind of run the team how he sees fit, which is no issue with that. But it's kind of like now he's wearing the end of the road, and you're kind of leaving yourself with no options, and you have to cut your cut cut yourself off and cut Pete Carroll off before it turns into a really bad situation, and you you set up your franchise to fail for 10, 15 years rather than five, two to five. So definitely going to be an interesting situation in Seattle and, and obviously New Orleans going to have to figure out the quarterback situation. Uh, I mean, with New Orleans, last thing about New Orleans, they were five and two with Jameis Winston under center. Obviously he's done, he's done for the year. They haven't won since he's got hurt, but they were five and two when he was healthy. I, I, not that he was playing at this elite level, but I don't think they should still write him off because he did play I would say pretty well to start the year. I also think part of the reason why they've done so well, at least with, you know, early in the year was Alvin Kamara. He's been injured for the past few weeks. It's really hurt them. He is set to come back this week. I believe, I think there are reports that he has been a full participant at practice. So it will be interesting to see going forward that difference that Alvin Kamara can make. And speaking of the difference he makes, potentially put forth an MVP run. Again, he's a running back, so he's got to you know, really put forth a lot of effort to be even considered. But he is certainly the core of that New Orleans offense. I would definitely agree. That's going to do it for us today here at Impact Sports Daily. I am your host, Matt Merrifield, joined today with Jacob Phillips, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. You've been listening to Impact Sports Daily.